Welcome to Growing You. This is part of LaGrave CRC's adult education program. You're listening to the first of two sessions from Loving God and Neighbors, Integrating Worship, Formation, and Missions, presented by Rev. Mike Hogaboom, Rev. Joyce Boyser, Rev. Chris Schoon. So yeah, welcome uh, to Growing You. Let me just say, so as we, um, have, as we talked on the Growing You team and tried to plan for this year, we wanted to pick up on this theme of one another. So our theme this year is growing with one another. And what we want to try to do here is talk about what are those Christian practices that are going to nurture unity as a body of Christ, as a congregation, what's going to knit the fabric of this congregation in a way that um, binds us together when uh, there are stresses that are trying to pull us apart. So we're going to try to kick that off right now uh, this week by talking with Chris and Joyce, particularly, as Emily said, about this intersection between worship and faith formation and mission. So to do that, uh, we're going to spend two weeks on that. This week, we're going to spend some time getting to know Joyce and Chris. I'm going to say some things about myself that maybe some of you don't know in this room as well, so we're going to introduce ourselves. We'll also tee up how we see kind of the challenges that are that threaten to, to sort of separate these three things in the church which then will lead to next week where we talk about how do we practice these things in a way that knits us together. Okay, so that's, how, that's the plan for today and next week. So to start, I'll just ask Chris to begin by introducing himself. We're going to spend enough time. We want to talk about our introductions in a way that helps you understand why the three of us are having this conversation. Uh, and one reason I invited... Chris and Joyce, it's because we all went to seminary together, which means we all had arguments about this, about which of these three areas was more important back when we were in seminary, and we had tons of fun doing that. So uh, this, is, this is a little bit like old, you know, old home week or something like that for the three of us. So, Chris. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I think from me to explain part of my call to ministry, I also have to say uh, that there was about a, a four-year stretch. I intentionally, at um, the age of 12, said, uh, asked uh, the elders in my church if I could make profession of faith, and I was simply told, no, you're too young. No conversation. Sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> um, and my response to that was to rebel. And I spent about four years saying, I don't want anything to do with God. Uh, I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't, um, got to the point of saying the friends, you guys are fools for believing this story. Maybe there was a historical Jesus. Part of what came out of that and brought me out of that season was actually God grabbing a hold of me in some powerful ways. Uh, I had a friend who said to me, Chris, I, I love you, but I think you're wrong. And those two things, she didn't argue with me. She just said that. 
And those, those, holding those two things together, someone who loved me, even though they thought I was wrong, was different than everybody else around me who wanted to argue with me and prove me wrong. Um, and so it began through this faithful witness of a friend and then some other things that God started drawing me back. One of the ways that he drew me back was through a group um, called Student Venture. It's the high school branch of what was Campus Crusade uh, for Christ. And uh, in that, I started being discipled by a guy named Tim. Um, We met multiple times a week with a small group of us. He taught me how to share my faith and talk about my story. Uh, I ended up going to Budapest, Hungary to do street evangelism for two and a half weeks during the senior year of of high school. And it was on that trip um, where I really felt God starting to say, I actually have a plan for your life that's going to be doing this type of thing. Um, and, and I look at that moment actually sitting on a, on a palace wall in Budapest uh, overlooking the city and having my heart break for the people who didn't know Jesus Christ um, as part of the, the main formation of my call to ministry. Um, jump ahead a few years, uh, I ended up at Calvin, um, was going to Madison Square CRC, uh, and really had the two pastors at that time, Dave Bielan and Dante Venegas, um, both mentored me. And it was in their mentoring that I really began to understand the rhythms of ministry, call to ministry. Uh, ended up at Plymouth Heights CRC uh, as my first call um, as the minister of outreach. Uh, and during the seven years that I was there, um, began to wrestle with the way the church does outreach Um, And seeing it, um, many people tell me, well, we've hired you to do the outreach. Um, I invited people to do mentoring in in the public school, Mulek Park School. We had a Kids Hope USA uh, program that it was leading, invited people to mentor. No, that's what we pay you for. And it it was multiple times, and I began to realize, um, at least at that time, having somebody paid on staff was actually hindering people's discipleship. Um, because they saw this as a service (laughs) that they bought rather than as a way of life that we're called to live. And that led me to go back to school. So I went to do my doctorate. I went and did my doctorate at Wycliffe College in Toronto, uh, which is part of the Toronto School of Theology system. Uh, And I, I leaned into asking the question, What does worship, discipleship, and mission have to do with each other inside the missional church movement? Um, And so I I was really curious about the missional church movement, curious about how um, some conversations were being reframed and how it was taking a narrative look at Scripture and saying, how do we get invited to participate in this narrative? Uh, And so spent a lot of time digging through some of those connections. Uh, During that time, I also was pastoring a church in downtown Hamilton, Ontario, uh, a CRC congregation there, and I ended up being uh, in Ontario for about 10 years. Towards the end of that, um, got called into the current position I'm in, uh, and we moved back to the States. So um, that's kind of the the overarching narrative um, of what gets me here. Thanks, Chris. Joyce. Yeah. 
Um, so I was born in... <laughs> it was a dark and stormy yeah. night. Yes. So um, I'm Canadian, grew up in Canada, and my love for the church started actually, I think, when I went on summer workshop in ministries, swim program. I don't know how many of you remember that. And what I find fascinating, somebody should do a study on this someday, is how many people in ministry, um, it was swim or it was you know, Budapest, whatever it was, it was some opportunity as a young person to go uh, and do ministry that it was just like everything we've been hearing coalesced and uh, we, you know, fell in love with the church and, and committed our lives uh, to working for her. Um, so like you, I wanted to do profession of faith early, but in our church, it was like you did catechism and, you know, all these years, and then 12th grade, you took the profession of faith class. So um, the idea that I wanted to do profession of faith early, people just assumed it was because I wanted to get out of catechism. So my parents were like, fine, but you got to do both classes. And so I'm like, fine, I'll do both classes. Uh, and so I took my you know, regular catechism and took profession of faith and, and did my profession of faith a year early. What a rebel. Oh, my goodness. Um, and that's about as rebellious as I've ever been. <laughs> that's true. Um, I ended up at Kuiper College, and I remember taking um, a worship class. Here I was, you know, grew up in the CRC, gone to church twice every Sunday, and I was sitting in this class, and my mind was blown. I was just like, whoa, is that what's happening in worship? Like, God is there, and God is meeting with us, and all these things, and my eyes were just, like, opened, and um, I really loved worship, and I loved music, and so it became natural to think, how can these two things come together? So I did my four-year degree at Kuiper, and then um, went on for another bachelor's, and as I was looking at what to do, it occurred to me that when you're working in a church, you need to be able to teach. And so I took a music education degree um, to fit with my church degree from uh, Kuiper. So I graduated with a music ed degree from Calvin and then ended up getting a job as a music and Bible teacher at high school in, back in Canada. Did that. Um, but wasn't really happy with that, so then became a, a youth pastor. And through this journey, too, uh, when I was at Kuiper, um, I worked a lot with urban ministry in the Roosevelt Park neighborhood and also with um, persons with disabilities. Um, and so all these things frame my mind because each one of them is really important to me. And um, yet, I'm this worship person. So after um, I was a, a youth pastor, well, actually, no, I was a director of youth ministries, um, not a pastor. Um, <laughs> and then I went to seminary and um, thinking I was going to go on in academia at that point, And God called me to work uh, for the Christian Reformed Church. So I um, started working for Faith Alive. Um, I did hymnal editing and all that lovely stuff. And then um, when they uh, transitioned Faith Alive out of um, being uh, publishing so much, um, and they started worship ministries and faith formation ministries, um, I became the director of, 
of worship ministries. And what I love is it does allow me to bring all those loves together because uh, you can't, um, they're all connected. And we're gonna be, we're gonna be talking more about that uh, in, in the weeks ahead. But you remember arguments. I don't remember so much arguments as passionate discussions where we saw the overlaps and yes. we're just like, oh, that's really cool. You know, it might not be my area of expertise or interest, but, yep. you know, recognizing that um, we're approaching the same kind of thing from different perspectives. We want, uh, we're desiring for the people of God to um, live full lives as Christ followers in all aspects. And we kind of represent three different aspects. That's right. You see why uh, I enjoyed seminary so much? It was like talking with folks like this that just sharpens you. And I think we all kind of, mm -hmm. it was a sweet time. Uh, so this is uh, the part of the story that I'll tell as a kid growing up in the 80s, south of here, Byron Center, I had heard from my, for my entire life uh, two words that, that went together. They always went together. Godless communists. The movies I watched, the, the missionaries in church, the godless communists. So when I was a sophomore going into my junior year at Calvin, no, no, I, sorry, my sophomore year during the interim in Germany, standing at the border about to go into East Germany, which was communist at the time, it's 1987, I was petrified. I really was. And uh, so we spent a week, maybe it was a week and a half in East Germany, and we traveled around and we saw some of the cities of Martin Luther. Uh, but what um, impacted me and my faith was one night that we spent in the basement of a Lutheran church meeting with Christians. And I encountered faith there that was so vibrant that it, I, I came back wondering what have I missed in my growing up in Byron Center? And I started asking those questions at Calvin and, I, and, and back at my church and and it, and it changed me from this perspective. Like, how is it that faith under communism in godless communist East Germany, these people have such vibrant faith. And so that um, helped uh, break me down and, and the Holy Spirit build me back up in, in positive ways then going back to the Middle East or going to the Middle East, living in Turkey for six years and, and trying to, figure out how to witness to Muslims and, and, then, and then coming to seminary where then uh, uh, took the call here in 2003 and have been here s these past 18 years. Uh, so uh, the other part of that then, so, so this missionary part, this cross-cultural missionary part and uh, has been really formative for me. So I'll just say a little bit then how that shows up in my um, Doctor of Ministry project. What I wanted to try to get my head around was how, how, what impact does cross-cultural, or in this case, uh, sort of you know, cross-subcultural, because we were all speaking the same language, but cross-cultural from this standpoint, uh, 
wealthy folks sort of together with poor folks at Guiding Light Mission. How, do, how does practicing faith formation um, practices in that context impact us? How does it form our faith? So to do that, what I tried to do was this. I, I, we, I designed a, a, a way to pray and study the Psalms. You all aren't surprised by that part. Um, here at church with church folks and then down at Guiding Light Mission with a bunch of guys from our church and some men in the mission and then try to, try to measure that. And we measured it by doing a spiritual assessment ahead and after, before and after and, and some focus group stuff. One particular question for me was interesting, and that is, how does it impact our understanding of, of what the Bible says about poverty? Uh, and and what, there was a change. There was a change in perception of our neighbors in the folks who went, actually went down to Guiding Light and actually met with them. And, and they said things like this afterwards, and this went both ways. This was interesting. The guys from LaGrave thought, said, this is a, uh, a quote, well, I just didn't think they would be so serious about their faith. And yet I learned how to pray and I learned how to study the Bible and I learned that they probably know the Bible better than I know in some cases. The guys from Guiding Like Mission, this was my favorite quote, he, says, he said, well, I thought those guys from LaGrave would look at us like we were the planet of the apes. Like we were at the zoo, right? Like we were in the cages and the LaGrave guys were on the outside looking in. But instead I discovered that they're my brothers in Christ. So that shift, like when, when God puts us in these places, in these spaces where we're out of our comfort zone, the impact of prayer and Bible study, how that uh, missional component impacts our faith. So that's... That's why I'm excited about having this, this conversation for the next two weeks. Uh, so uh, having said that, I want to set up the problem or the challenge as I see it. Um, and then I'll let Joyce and Chris talk about it from their perspective in the denomination and from your, your ministry. How do you see some of the challenges? I think the challenge began to be clarified for me when uh, I read a study from the Barna uh, Institute, Institute, Barna Group, they do survey work and they've been surveying and sort of researching the church in North America for decades now. And um, so I encountered this survey and was pleased to discover that the Spiritual Formation Committee, because Christy and I talked about it, was also reading this study by Barna. And, and what they were doing was, what is the state of discipleship in the church? That was the term they used. We could use faith formation or spiritual formation. What is the, what is the state of discipleship in the church? And they discovered that uh, it's, it's around 70% of evangelical Christians in, in the country are really happy with the state of discipleship in their church and they participate in that in primarily two ways. They go to worship and they have personal devotions and prayer. They go to worship and they have personal devotions and prayer. Okay, here's 
what fills in that gap. Faith formation happens in so many different contexts, this being one of them, right? So congregational worship, sort of just below that is like classroom, sort of engagement, like a class like growing you, place below that, small group interaction. Think, that, think of those groups where there's eight to 10 people and, and the difference here between growing you and, and a small group is there's another, there's a deeper level of intimacy. We can talk more about what's going on in our family and what's going on in our faith life and how's prayer. And then, and then after that, there are smaller groups of two to three to four where we can start sharing at an even deeper level where our relational connections uh, are strengthened even more. And then we have that devotional kind of one-on-one me and Jesus, prayer life where we can open ourselves up to God. So, so really, in a sense, there's, there's sort of like five levels of relational connection, relational, uh, necessary relational connection in our faith formation process. And Barna discovered that 70 plus percent of Christians are going to worship and they're having devotions and that's great. It's really good. But what about that? central part. And I think that's where uh, I kind of see some of the challenges when it comes to this um, breaking apart of worship and faith formation and mission. So I'll go back the other way. Joyce, you want to talk about what, where do you see kind of the challenges in this conversation? Yeah, in fact, I just emailed you this week because I said, hey, you know, um, as we were preparing, I'm like, one of the things that strikes me is how often Christians think, oh, it's just about going to worship, and as long as I do worship, I'm good. Um, and faith formation are for people who are not yet Christian um, or for our young people. And mission is for people who are extroverts um, or feel a particular call, right? Um, and I might, you know, that separation is not at all what Scripture talks about. Um, all of us are called to all three of these things. It's going to look different, and maybe the balance is a little bit different for different people. But in essence, um, we're, we're all called to do all those things. And so, um, yeah, I'm teaching a class right now at Kuiper, and they're really surprised. It's history and theology of worship. And we're on our second last week, and we're finally going to talk about music next week. And they're really surprised about that. But I'm like, no, we spent a week on ethics and mission and what does worship have to say about those things because worship has a whole lot of things. And um, we spent a lot of time on, on formation and all these other things because I think those are the things that are missed. When we talk about worship, we often just think, are, is the music good? Is the preaching good? Uh, which is important. Um, but if we haven't done this other stuff as well, I think... Uh, the impact of worship is really negated. Um, and so I really see all these things as being very uh, significant and, and connected. I, I think one of, the, um, one of the challenges, maybe I'd, I'd frame it this way um, I, in, in part of my own story. There was a long time where I was so bent on, we have to be reaching out, we have to connect with people who aren't part of the church, um, that I started seeing worship as irrelevant, often disconnected from the rest of life. It felt 
like an, uh, an odd hour <laughs> um, in the rest of the, the rhythm of life that I was keeping. Um, and then I, I came across that Annie Dillard quote, which I think a lot of people have heard, but um, she's talking about worship and she says that um, we don't really know what we're doing and the ushers should be handing out crash helmets and buckling us into our pews because quite often what we're doing in worship is encountering the living God, but we don't pay attention to that. It's like we're kids playing with dynamite sticks when we come to worship. And she had this just incredible vision of how worship is such a powerful, powerful thing that it changes everything, but we often come haphazard. And I went, oh, that's part of it. That's part of what I've been seeing as the challenge here, that that our worship, even though it has all sorts of rhythm and history and tradition to it, it actually often just becomes a habit that's disconnected from an encounter with the living God who created everything, who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. That living God is with us, meeting with us, and when we meet with that God, everything should change. Um, and then, and then I went on a seminary assignment to go to a church outside of your tradition and experience. So I went to a Russian Orthodox church downtown, and it was the priest, my my wife, myself, and a friend of ours and a CRC minister who was serving as the reader for that service, but didn't want us to tell anybody he was there. <laughs> we were the only people in the sanctuary. No one else showed up that day. And after the service, um, I was just fascinated by all the liturgy, the customs, the incense, all sorts of stuff. The priest had a full meal waiting downstairs, and he invited us to sit and eat lunch with them. And I'm like, What's happening here? And he, he started explaining how the whole worship service from beginning to end is mission. And I said, help me understand this because I don't, I, it was so far from my understanding of mission. And he pushed into it and, and said that we are caught up in worship in the story of Christ who came down to earth um, to identify with us, to live into our brokenness, becoming one of us. And as he's here, he gets caught up back into the story of heaven and wrapped up. And it's this intercessory dialogue between heaven and earth all through the worship service. And he said, we never enter worship just by ourselves. We enter worship as part of the story of the world and part of the story of Christ coming together. That means the sin and brokenness of the world is brought before God and God's healing grace is brought back to the world. And unless you understand that that type of formative story is happening and unfolding in worship, you don't understand worship. It, it blew me away. But I think that's also still part of what we struggle with, that our view of worship actually is not enough. <laughs> it's not rich enough because it doesn't, we don't often recognize that the living God is meeting with us. And we don't often recognize that we're being caught up in a story that's bigger than us about the story of God's work to make all things new, even right here, right now. Yes, in Christ. Yes, in the Spirit. But, 
right here, right now, in us and through us and among us. And that ripples out to the way we do formation, the way we do mission, the way we do our jobs, the way we do our recreation, the way we shop. All of that then becomes relevant to this story of what God is doing. And I, I think for me, that's part of the challenge. Can we see what's actually happening in worship? God, the primary actor, doing something to, to wrap us into this story. Um, I know for me, it's always been a struggle. And encountering those things, I think that challenge is still there. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is why, I mean, even at the denominational level, we have an office, like we have faith formation office, and we have worship office, and yet, and then we have, you know, our mission people, and you can't separate those things so very cleanly, and so worship talks about faith formation and missions and ethics, and and you talk about worship, and all these things are interrelated, and um, we, as well as in our, in our life. Uh, any questions from y'all? Because we're going to, um, Jonah needs some of this equipment, and he's coming down at, at uh, 1040. So we've got a few minutes for some questions. Uh, and we'll get more into details and next we'll g- week. And we'll get into yeah. more details next week. So, yeah, Bart. I have a comment, and I think that unless it starts with worship, it's never going to be enough to isolate the other two things as entities unto themselves. Mm-hmm. He has to start here. Yeah. Yeah, but then the rest of the week has to flow back into into our worship back. Yeah, yeah. So the other um, problem that we sometimes face in churches um, is this idea of we leave everything behind when we enter. So forget about yourself and concentrate on him and worship him. I mean, there's a sense where, yeah, that's true, um, but there is another sense where we have to take our real selves, all our pain, all our joys, our laments. We need to bring all of that into worship because we need to lift that all up to God. Um, and so there shouldn't be this separation from the rest of our week and our context and, and our missional living either. I mean, we bring that all. Who are we praying for? Uh, who have we encountered during the week that we need to be praying for and bringing into and holding up to our, in our worship as well. So yes, I think, yeah, worship is central and everything flows out, but then flows back in uh, to worship again. I, I, just to play off that too, I, I think one of the phrases that's been helpful for me is um, what's the liturgy of Sunday and what's the liturgy of the week? And, and using that language of liturgy, and then I start thinking, okay, for Sunday morning worship service, um, and I don't know here at LaGrave how many volunteers you have involved in the Sunday service and how many staff are involved in planning it and how many hours the pastor puts into it, but you start, just start thinking about those types of things. What all goes into the liturgy of Sunday morning, the shaping it and forming it? And, and then you ask, what's the history behind the songs that were sung? So I know when I, uh, some of the places I've been at, um, we sang songs that were written over a thousand years ago. Um, we offered prayers that were written in the third and fourth century. When we read scripture, it's even older than that. 
So when we think about the liturgy of Sunday morning, we're actually taking the communion of the saints through how many generation and millennia to affect this one hour and shape us and form us. How many of us think intentionally about our own formation, even a half an hour? What am I going to do this week to be formed and shaped by God's story? It, it, to me, it's astounding that we pour all of this into one hour and then we go, oh, the rest of the week we're going to be fine. We don't have to think about how we're going to be formed or what that liturgy is going to look like. Um, I think those types of things. So, yes, worship, anchoring, central. We hear the gospel in the community. But personally, how am I going to live out this liturgy among God's people from here on out? What, what does that mean the rest of the week? What's that liturgy going to look like? How do I draw on the prayers of God's people through the centuries for the way I pray during the week? How do I, how do I listen to the, the songs or the hymnody of the faith to, to support and encourage me throughout the week? Where am I encountering um, scripture? Where am I being still and quiet before God during the week? Where's the intentionality with that? And I think that's that's one of the pieces that, for me, I, th- I think when we talk faith formation, we have to ask, what's the intention? What's our intentionality in shaping our faith formation? And, and not that it has to be the same as what we do for a communal gathering, but right. there should be a little more equity, <laughs> a little more intentionality between those two. Right. Yeah. And if in worship our eyes are being formed and our minds are being formed with, the, with that of Christ, then the rest of the week is also asking the question, you know, God, open my eyes to see what you see. Help me to love the people who you love mm-hmm. um, and help me to love them in a way that, that you love them, um, which is, yeah, uh, he meets them where they're at. Uh, and so even that missional formation um, happens on uh, Sunday. Those eyes are nurtured in that way. Yeah. 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 Any other questions? Laura, in the back, yeah. What do you have to say to someone who is struggling with their church's style of worship? I don't ask this for my No, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, my parents are, are, are really struggling with attending their church that they've, that they've gone to for 50 years. Um, and, and we start arguing more about do you change churches because you don't like the style of music because mm-hmm. it's harder than you to sit through. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Everybody hear the question? How, okay. Yeah. Joyce probably deals with this question somewhat. You get these questions that come yeah. through your email inbox? Yeah. Would you like to well, maybe I mean, I can, even I can just start. tee it up for next week? Yeah, I can. I can start. Um, and I think ultimately, uh, you need to be in a community that's going to foster these things. That is going to help you encounter God. That's going to form your faith. That's going to provide, uh, you know, uh, the eyes of Christ and encourage you to live missionally. That, to me, that's the that is the bottom line. Um, style. Um, Personally, I, I'm like, 
yeah, st style. Um, you can do good worship regardless of, of, of the style. So I try not to get into stylistic. This style is better than the other style because I believe all three can do really good jobs of, or all three, all versions of styles can do really good jobs of that formative encountering and, and missional aspect. But the question really is, I mean, what I ask people is, are you being formed in that community or not? And I can understand there's certain contexts where uh, the style of music just is not allowing you to encounter God for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's, it's too loud, you just, you know, and I think when we get um, older, I think it's harder to make those, those adjustments and you have heart songs and, and you want to be in a place where, where you can experience that. And um, so, I mean, in some ways, I feel that's, that's very legitimate. Um, I feel bad and what I try to get churches to recognize too is the diversity of people that are in your congregation and what are their heart songs. And let's not forget about, uh, we talk a lot about kids and what their needs are, but the older generation also has needs as well and faith needs and heart songs that need to be attended to. So I'd have a challenge uh, for that congregation to think broadly, but I'd also um, would pastorally say to, to, to your parents, um, are, are you finding this a place where you're meeting Christ, you're meeting God and you're being formed? And if not, um, then it's, it's time to find, find another place. And, and do that lovingly, you know, um, yeah. I think one, one um, observation, I guess, um, wondering that I have on, on that topic is that I'm, I'm wondering what's motivate. It sounds like maybe there's a shift happening in how that worship goes, takes place or the style. And, and I wonder, I hear sometimes that uh, the discussion about changing the style to me sounds like um, we're doing this in order to do outreach, in order to do evangelism. And I'm more of the, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that the worship service can carry the evangelism call that Jesus gives us to make disciples. I, I think that happens in those other areas where I discussed earlier in these small class and class settings and small group settings and sort of one on one with with each other. That's where the work of evangelism and um, that too carries, you know, the work of evangelism. And so to, to for the worship service to sort of carry the weight of all of our Christian faith, I think that's what we're talking about. It has a, has a role, but, and it can support that work, but primarily that's, 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 my, that's God's call to each of us to be that witness. So. I, I think Joyce mentioned heart songs, but I think part of, part of what we end up talking about a lot within Faith Formation Ministries is faith formation really to be holistic needs to be intergenerational. And in order to be intergenerational, you really need opportunities for each generation to tell their stories um, to each other, sharing with each other. And one of the great ways is simply to say to the congregation, what song do you feel like God really speaks to you through? 
When, when do you hear God speaking to you through a song? What is that song? And being able to hear the variety of responses that come to that. And you may find some people share the same song, but for completely different reasons. Um, and you may have others who are saying it's a completely different style. But that sharing of that, that I realize that God's speaking to me when I hear these different songs, it, it gives us a little more compassion for each other rather than a defensive response of, I need my songs. <laughs> um, we can go, oh, wait a minute. I know that Jane really likes this one, and this is part of her story. And, you know, uh, Jackie, who's just growing up, Jackie resonates with this one. And, you know, one of the, you just start hearing that, and it, it, it really encourages more of a generosity towards each other and an appreciation in the theme, growing with one another, um, an appreciation for how do we help each other grow and what would be meaningful for somebody else in worship, not just for ourselves. And that's, that's, a, that's a shift, I think. One of the challenges is not only that these topics get compartmentalized, but oftentimes that we approach worship as a consumer good for ourselves. I didn't get fed, the preacher's not preaching to me anymore, the songs aren't meaningful to me, therefore I should just leave, um, or the pastor should leave, or we should get a new musician. I, those tend to be our responses, but those are very consumeristic, whereas this grow with one another would say, so who is this meaningful for? How is the congregation being blessed in these things? And, and where do we all fit together in this story? All right. I think that tees us up for next week pretty well. Uh, how about if I, I'll close with prayer and send us all on our way. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your work of gathering us together. And uh, we lift up to you our words and our prayers and our lives as... Um, yeah, as obedient offerings to you. And we pray that in this week, in our families, in our work, in our, uh, the fun that we engage in, that we will bear witness to what you are doing in our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.